All right, so listen up for a minute. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want to make sure that what you're listening to is what you're listening to and not what your neighbor or children or a significant other is listening to. You feel me? Everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you go dropping hundreds on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. They're amazing. Now, you already know that Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, but they sound just as amazing as the other top brands that you know of, and they've got a new model. Their newest model is the Everyday E25 earbuds. They're the best ones to date. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design, which gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. And to me, that's everything. You've heard me talk about how the company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Brandy, J.R. Smith. They're obsessed with their Raycons. Pick up a pair and you'll see what the hype's all about. Get the latest and greatest from Raycon and get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Rome. Buyraycon.com slash R-O-M-E for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Rome. He's like, my favorite moment was, I'm like 40 feet out. Uh, I'm like, I'm about to shoot. Andre's like, what are you doing? Like, oh, run the play or whatever. All I hear Andre say, what the f***? And I go up and I just shoot it. And I go in and I'm like, yeah, f*** you, Andre, I just made it. <laughs> and I'm like, that was your favorite moment? It's cracking. Welcome to episode 136 of the Jim Rohn Podcast. Still here. Still killing it. And this week, my guest is a three-time NBA champion, a finals MVP, a current member of the Miami Heat, Andre Iguodala. But for as accomplished and decorated as this guy is on the court, it would be selling him way short to stop at his basketball accolades. He's also very active in social justice reform, stock trading, tech, and is one hell of a stick on the golf course. Oh, and did I mention his book, The Sixth Man, is a New York Times bestseller. We get into all of that and his thoughts as the NBA heads to Orlando to finish off the 2020 season. So let's get right at it. Episode 136 of the Jim Rohn Podcast with Andre Iguodala starts right now. So Andre, it's been a minute or two since you and I have been able to chop it up and get caught up. So it's great to have you. Listen, before we get into this, let me first ask you, how are you and yours doing during this most unusual time? Uh, I think we we were just trying to be real strategic about how we approach this. Uh, I think my wife, you know, my partner in crime, we tried to uh, make the most of it. So, too bad. We've been getting a lot of uh, taking the opportunity to, okay, we got a lot of this time. What can we do with it? How can we make the most of it? And I think uh, it's, it's helped us actually a lot. We've been able to – you cut out a lot of nonsense – you know, if you really key in on, you know, how much time you have and how you can, you know, operate efficiently, plus with the kids and all that. So hasn't been so bad. I think that's kind of like the elite mindset, right? Like most people, once you kind of realize what's going on, it's like, all right, this is what we're dealing with. So how do we take this negative and make it a positive? How do we benefit from this? How can we better ourselves during this time? And then in terms of the way you kind of take care of your mind and body, you've always been legendary in the way you do those things. So like what kind of workouts have you done and how have you stayed in shape during the pandemic? Yeah, well, when I was back home, uh, when the season was shut down March, um, I have a boxing trainer. Uh, back in the Bay, and she's a beast. So she works out, uh, my wife and myself. And uh, I just could, I could do it like on my front 
porch area where, you know, get my boxing in, then get my had a lot of cardio things. Just being real creative with uh you can get a lot done. I think you see it on those different platforms. Uh those different uh, workout platforms, you know, you got Peloton, um, you got the road machine, you got mirror, you just got bought by a Lululemon yesterday. And then uh also got uh I'm drawing a blank on one. Bowflex has a great one as well. And Tonal. Tonal is a great lifting machine too. I'm going into my geeky tech uh stuff right now. So yeah, you got so many different platforms that you can use and people have been jumping on Peloton's uh their stock has shot through the roof since the pandemic. So um, you can get a lot of things done. Dude, I'm laughing about that because I bought my Peloton. I bought mine like maybe three years ago and I love the product and I threw a little bit of money on at the stock. It is incredible how that stock has performed. Peloton is through the roof. So needless to say, I'm very happy about that, but really unhappy that I didn't make a bigger bet on it because I knew the product and I already love the platform. I'm going to talk to you about tech in one minute. Let me ask you this. As a VP with the Players Association, like, what are your thoughts about the restart in Orlando at this point? Does it feel like the right time and the right place to resume playing to you? Uh, it's interesting, you know, um, being a part of uh, heavily involved with the union, um, you know, it's my duty to, you know, look out for the best interest of the players uh, from all aspects, you know, business-wise, uh, the mental health uh, part of it, um, and, you know, strategic partnership with the NBA. So all those things, you know, uh, come into play in, you know, my thoughts on things. So what I've learned to do is – take out the personal opinion side of it. So regardless of what I think, you know, I try to think of the best opportunity for for the players and, and, the, and the body of players that, that represent the league on this side. And, uh, you know, just taking in a lot of, um, you know, third-party uh, suggestions and advice uh, through mentors and different people, former players, all those things, business, uh, business folks and you know, just trying to make the best moves possible for for our body of players, and I think it's a, it's a definitely a gamble. Uh, you know, which is a, a, everything we do is a gamble. You know, you can step out there and uh, get hurt on the court in any environment. Uh, so, you know, whatever we do going forward, just trying to make sure our, our, that everything's in place for our players to be as safe as possible. And then they all have their own approach, right? Like everybody's different, and players are understandably conflicted about a return to play at this time for a number of reasons. For instance, do you think that a return to play at this time helps or distracts from the Black Lives Matter movement? I think if you approach it the right way, you can uh, continue to uh, shed more light on it. You know, it's a big platform. Um, I think you can see, I think you even look at a NASCAR situation what happened there, and you, you had a driver who was expressing his opinions uh, on the whole situation and supporting the Black Lives Matter, and the the reaction that they got from you know their the fan base, you know, comes from uh, comes from those areas who may disagree with that stance, and you know they they were it's a backlash they had on it, but at the same time it put a I think it put a brighter spotlight on Black Lives Matter, you know, so. Uh, for us, with the platforms that we have, and you see more and more players are uh, doing more with their platforms, taking more ownership of the, of their likenesses, uh, and it's become a beautiful thing uh, that we can continue to shed light on. I think we're doing a lot of different things uh, to make sure 
while we're playing ball, that that's on uh, people's minds. And uh, we're making sure that we're holding everyone accountable for getting the knowledge they need to get because uh, it takes us all as a unit. You know, it's, it's, it's not up to one person, but it's up to everybody to collectively uh, help get this thing right with the social injustice that have been occurring in this country for, you know, hundreds of years. Right. Andre, the, the bubble concept is kind of interesting. Like, it's not a true bubble per se, but as part of that bubble, there is a so-called tip line, or maybe it's a snitch line or a rat line or whatever you want to call it. I mean, do you expect guys to use that line? Um, personally, I don't, I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to use it, to be honest. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not even quite sure, and I, I, I probably should know, but I'll be honest. I'm not sure what the line is for. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think um, once we're there and all the players are there, um, hopefully we'll embrace being around each other for that long period of time. Because I think that's what you have to do to get through it uh, with the same mind is, is, is to embrace uh, being with your team and, and fellow athletes. You know, I think, uh, you know, we get, we, we take a lot of hits for, you know, being friendly or, you know, guys thinking out when they're competing. But, you know, I think this would be a good time for us to uh, be a collective and, and, and continue to push what we're trying to push on all fronts, uh, the social injustice side, the business side as well, you know, going to next season. I think, uh, we're, we're doing a lot of sacrificing as a partnership with the NBA and hopefully, that gets taken into account in the future with negotiations and, and however we move forward as a partnership with the NBA and, and uh, the stakeholders. And where do you come out on that? That point you just made, like, you know, we take a lot of heat for being kind of friendly. Like, I mean, you've been at this a long time, and you've got three rings, and you've got that old-school mentality. I mean, you've always been kind of years ahead of yourself. At the same time, you know, like you watched The Last Dance with Jordan. And, I mean, I want to say on the one hand that Mike was not going to fraternize with the opposition, but the guy was playing 18 with Danny Ainge in the middle of the playoffs. Like, where do you come out? Like, has the whole thing been AAUified and guys shouldn't be that close? Or can you still have those relationships off the floor and still want to kill each other on the floor? Yeah, the thing that was interesting to me about that was that uh, there's two parts of it. You know, I think well, one part of it is guys, I think they did hang out back in the day. Uh, you know, you see Magic and you see Isaiah, you know, they, you know, they gave each other uh, kisses on the cheek, you know what I mean, back then. You know, they were friends, and they went to battle. They went to blows. So I think you can have those relationships off the court. And uh, when you step on the court, uh, you can go and, and battle, you know. Um, so I, I think there's nothing wrong. Plus, we've been knowing each other for so long with the way AAU kids are planning to, like, I saw Quinn Cook. He's been knowing Bradley Bill since they were, like, you know, Eighth, seven eighth graders, you know, so, you know, you're essentially growing up with these guys. And uh, I think the other side of it is uh, it's kind of separating us. You know, it's kind of like that mentality that African-Americans have had where we're competing against each other so much that, you know, uh, on the other end of that, we, we, we can never come together as one. And I think uh, just like with our community, African-Americans, it's going to take us to come together and control how we maneuver economically um, for us to start gaining respect. And I think uh, people are in a, in a position of power are afraid of that. And I think that stigma or that same tactics have crept into the relationship with players uh, on, in, in basketball and, and in, in sports in general. You know, uh, I think it's important for us to uh, be close and, and have that tight-knit uh, fraternity so when we do go into these business meetings. And, and I'm just not just talking about 
I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, negotiations with the NBA. I'm talking about in general with everything we do, you know, we're, we're pooling our money together. And David West, you know, uh, he's been very influential on me in terms of business, in terms of social injustices and all those things, just giving me knowledge of how important group, group economics is or can be for us. You know, I'm going to talk to you more about business in a minute, but you've been so good about talking to young players and advising young players and what they should do in terms of their money and their budget and you're giving back. Like, you're a vet. You've seen a lot of things, and you can share that. But I'm curious, what was it like when you came up and you were the young guy? Like, you started your career with the Sixers, and you played along Allen Iverson. What was it like for you as a young player to play alongside AI, and what's the best advice he gave you back then? Yeah, it was like I didn't – you know, I knew he was like a cultural figure, but I didn't quite, you know, understand it. Like, because he didn't, he didn't carry himself like he was a cult-like figure. He was just like regular guy. He was super funny, or he is super funny, and you know, he just made me feel like I was a part of his family. So, you know, it was it was actually a, a, a very good experience for me to see how you you know you can remain humble, uh, but at the same time, when we stepped on that court, he was the killer. You know, what I'm saying he had that balance. And he gave, the thing he did for me more than anything else was give me a confidence that I was just as good as anybody on the court. You know, I remember, you know, I was talking about Rip Hamilton because I was a big fan of his when he, when he was at UConn and I was in high school and I was rooting for him through the, you know, through the NCAA tournament. And uh, I was, you know, giving him a lot of praise as I'm just playing against him. And Al Iverson was like, yo, like, cut it out, like, immediately, like, you better than him. Like, I don't ever want you to say nobody's good. Like, you better than everybody. And I took that approach, like, every game. And, like, he, you know, he, he brought that out of me in terms of, like, just having that confidence. Because, you know, you got a lot of talent in this league, but confidence is a make or breaker. And, and, and it goes into uh, how these young guys are developing as well because we we only giving them two years to develop now before we're starting to cut them or determine whether they're a bust or not. And, and their confidence can waver depending on the organization they're in. So just having him as my teammate, you know, it, it helped me have this long career. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned Rip, too. I love Rip. Rip's one of my favorites. And when you mentioned that you used to watch him at UConn, you liked him, that makes me think of another guy. And I kind of laugh when I say this, especially since the theme is confidence. How about my guy, Khaled El-Amin? How great was he back in the day? Yes. How crazy is that? I was in Vegas last summer, and my son... Uh, he's 13 now, he's playing AAU ball, and these two kids come up to me and ask me for a picture, and um, I'm in the hotel uh, ballet area. And I looked at one kid, and I said, hey, man, you, you look just like Khalid Alameen. You ever heard of him? Crazy. He's like, yeah, it's my dad. Yes! <laughs> oh, dude, that is incredible. <laughs> I met, I, I, and his, his dad's like around the corner. And I go around the corner, and I meet his dad. I'm like, you don't understand how big of a fan I was. And the kids were like, oh, wow, this is like, you know, they didn't know they didn't know dad as dad. They don't know him as, you know, the Khalil Elamine that I know. So it was just so funny, you know, how the kind of the world goes around like that. And it was, that was just an unbelievable encounter. Andre, dude, I love that story so much. I am so into that story because I love Khalid. It was like, what did it mean to Khalid that you said to him that you were such a fan of his? Yeah, he was just like, yo, like, I appreciate it. Like, or was I he like, he yeah, was, of course he, you were. Of course you were, man. Yeah, Everybody I, I, was. I think he... he I think he was in like father mode, so he wasn't in like that mode. He was like, whoa, like, you know, he wasn't thinking about basketball. He was like, yo, I really appreciate that, you know, respect. And it was just like a good, it was a cool bonding moment. And then I was telling my son, like, yo, like, you like this guy. He likes this guy in college, that guy in college. I'm like, that was my guy, you know, when I was, you know, middle school, high school. 
he was laughing about it. But the, it was just funny that I told the kid, I'm like, yo, you look just like Khalid Alameen. That's amazing. Like, out of the blue. And he's like, that's my dad. It was, it was funny. That is amazing. I, I'm so glad I brought that up. That is such a great story. And speaking of a great story, you wrote a book, a really interesting book, The Sixth Man, a memoir. And I want to ask you about, before I let you go, there's a couple of passages in the book that are so great. I want to read you this passage. It says, quote, I reached out to, I reached out my hand to dap this guy up. He didn't take it. Instead, he leaned in real close to me, opened his mouth, exhaled into my nostrils so I could smell his breath. He smelled honestly like an entire frat party had taken place in his mouth. What the fuck? I said laughing. Yo, I'm drunk as fuck right now. I mean, Andre, is that as wild as that sounds? That has to be a one-off, right? I mean, you've never seen anything like that before or after, right? Yeah, that was a one-off. That was people ask me like who that player was all the time. I never say, but he killed me that game. It was so funny. And uh, what happened was the game really didn't matter. Like we weren't gonna make the playoffs, and I think they were fine. And whatever was gonna happen. So it was one of the last few games of the year. Uh, and uh, he, it was just so funny. I never seen anything like that. But he like killed me that game. It was hilarious. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Because I was going to say, did you go right at this guy? Did you abuse this guy all game long? And you're telling me, like, he played great. Like, did he play better drunk than he did sober? The funny thing is, I thought he was – I thought I was going to have a great game. After hearing that, I'm like, okay, cool. I got a free – you know, it's one of those, you know, on the house. Like, you can – you know, how are you playing with house money? But he came out firing. Hit his first three. I'm thinking, oh, I lucky. Hit his second three, and then after that, it was – before I knew it, we were down like 15. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. You know, what's crazy is like I want to speculate and I want to guess, but I love the guy so much <laughs> that I want to guess that I don't want to say who it is. Like I, I don't want to. I don't want to be right and I don't want to be wrong. So I better not mention this guy's name. But I got to guess. Yeah, you I'm, probably won't guess because this was the last person I thought. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, then, because this is the first person that I would thought. So you're right. I wouldn't get it right then. I wouldn't get it right. You also have this amazing story about Clay Thompson. Like, if you know, Clay is like the best guy, right? Like, for so many different reasons. But y'all were sitting around one night talking about everybody had their best moment as a warrior. Clay, I think, could pick from any number of things. What did Clay tell you and the group was his best moment as a warrior? Yeah, Clay was like. You know, the funny thing about Clay is that he's actually like uh, he's a funny guy. He kind of has this uh, hilarious, this dry, witty humor, and he doesn't he doesn't he's not like an overly social person. So he's not going out of his way to speak. So when he does say something, people tend to listen, which makes it funnier when he says something funny. And uh, we were grouping up, and this is like team activity. And uh, he's he's like my favorite moment was you know I catch the ball, I'm like 40 feet out and. Uh, I'm like, I'm about to shoot. Andre's like, what are you doing? Like, oh, run the play or whatever. And he was like, all I hear Andre say, what the fuck? And I go up and I just shoot it. And I go in and I'm like, yeah, fuck you, Andre. I just made it. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, like, that was like your favorite moment? Like, <laughs> like what? Like, how does that even make sense? Like, that still doesn't mean it was a good shot. That was, that was, that was what I was thinking. Like, I don't know how that, that still doesn't mean that it was a good shot, but that's place. In a nutshell, and uh, Steve and I had conversations about uh, about guys like that all the time. Like, you know, that's why they are what they are. Like, I like Steve and I were joking. Like, I, we actually wish we had their confidence. Like, we wish we had, you know, that thing in our brain that says, "I didn't, I haven't missed today." Like, Clay can miss ten shots in a row, and he won't remember missing ten shots. So his next shot, he he knows for a fact it's going in, and it's just like having that mindset. Uh, it's part of the reason why he's one of the greatest shooters of all time. I think that's something that people don't uh, 
uh, account for. That story's amazing. Like, he's, he's like, what? Like, what? what? Fuck you, what? Yeah, yeah I just knocked like it what? in. Yeah, like didn't what? He, yeah, now, Andre, didn't he have, like, 37 in a quarter in a playoff game once? Yeah, yeah, 37 in a quarter. I don't think that was a playoff, though. Uh, but then he had 60 against Indiana. Was That was the thing. No, 37 and a quarter was against Sack. Uh, 60 was against Indiana, and then he broke three point record last year in Chicago, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, but all, all great stories, but none of that was his yeah. favorite moment. His favorite moment was knocking right. in a 40 footer after you called him out and then yeah. saying, Fuck you, Andre. Amazing. Yeah, and he's known as he's known as uh, big game Clay, game six Clay. Oh, yeah, when we're down and we need to win in game six. He's going crazy, he's got multiple games like that, which is rare for any athlete to have like. <laughs> That type of, you know, that's his, that's his thing. People know that about him. Like, game six, we know he's going to get 40 tonight, and he's had a bunch of them. Like, athletes don't get that opportunity. He's like, only the great ones do. And, yeah, he's only remembered a 40-foot shot he shot. That was a bad shot. That just happened to go in. That, that's why he's the funniest guy ever. And he, I bet he delivered that perfectly, man. He probably just deadpanned it, too. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, my favorite moment, that one time I knocked in that 40-footer. When Andre called me out, listen, before you go, you, because you were talking stocks, that's not just like some, I mean, that, that's a deal. Like, you know what you're talking about. Obviously, you're well-invested and you're a big player in the tech community. You joined Comcast Ventures Catalyst Fund. What exactly is that? Yeah, so the Comcast uh, Ventures is, you know, single LP. Uh, obviously, Comcast is environment owns NBC Universal, uh, Sky, Sky Network. Um, which is an international network, and uh, it's a $500 million uh, fund. We, uh, we invest in uh, a lot of early-stage companies, uh, pre-CC, Series A, uh, Series B is a little bit as well, when we just, you know, the, for the prorata reasons, which means you, you maintain your ownership stake within those companies. Uh, but the Catalyst Fund, specifically, uh, myself and uh, Fatima Hussein, I got a bigger up, she's a genius, and uh, she brought me along. Uh, and, and has helped me tremendously. Um, but it's uh, a fund for underfunded communities. Uh, and, and, you know, we're talking about we're in this space right now. The Catalyst Fund has been around for the last 10, 11 years as well. So this isn't something new. You see a lot of companies for branding purposes or they're trying to check the box for corporate, you know, right corporate reasons to say we're supporting, you know, uh, you know the African-American community but where Catalyst Fund has been doing it already. Um, so we invest in African-American, Latinx, and uh, female entrepreneurs uh, specifically, and we try to tap into these uh, founders and, and, and help them build their companies uh, healthy, responsibly, and uh, we use our network uh, of um, you know things that can help them get growth. We have something called Forecast Labs, which uh, basically is you know marketing, advertising at cost uh, through Comcast. Uh, vehicle that we have in our network and um, UPS mail order, uh, which saves them a ton uh, at cost as well. So we give a lot of value add to our portfolio companies and helping them uh, scale uh, to higher levels responsibly in the right way. So it's been a, a, a join in February, early February, um, and it's been a great ride. Uh, talking to a lot of companies. I'm actually on a call in five minutes um, where we're uh, pushing another initiative as well in terms of helping our portfolio companies. So it's a uh, it's a real job, and uh, it's, uh, 
it's, it's probably one of the few things that is uh, taken a, that I enjoy that takes away from my golf game, but I, I wouldn't have it any other way. So it's been good. All right, so really quickly before I let you go, quick follow to that. So when you're talking with these companies, when you're looking to make an investment, are you are you investing in the product first or maybe the entrepreneur first? Uh, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. I think more than anything, you want to make sure that the entrepreneur can execute and operate a company and, uh, you know, you got to understand their vision, you know? Um, but at the same time, you got a bunch of serial entrepreneurs who they just have a knack for rolling out companies, just rolling out products. And, uh, you would rather take your bet on those types, the ones that you know have a good track record or have been in great companies. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of, you ask someone where they come from, you know, you hear a lot of Google, you hear a lot of Facebook, you hear a lot of Airbnbs. These entrepreneurs have seen it done at a high level, and then they go out and, and find something niche that, that they can scale, and you want to back that. Uh, but at the same time, you want to make sure that the market that they're getting into is a big enough market and, and worth the investment. Uh, and I tell a lot of athletes, when you invest, you're saying you're taking a risk. You know, change the word invest for take a risk. And, and that changes your mindset in terms of how much you want to put into it or how much how involved you want to be in it and keep a close eye on it. Because end of the day, it's just risk calculations. And, um, you know, batting 300 is amazing. It's Hall of Fame, just like in baseball, it's Hall of Fame in, in the tech community as well. It's funny, we talk about that in horse racing, that it's it's a numbers game. Like, you pick one, it can pay for all of them, but you got to find that one. All right, so last stop before you jump on that call, you mentioned golf. You're an avid golfer, you're a damn good stick, and we talked about Jordan. i got to ask you, like, what do you make of Mike's golf habits? Like, he's known for playing 36 a day if he can, smoking a box of stogies, and gambling with whatever makes the opposition uncomfortable. What do you make of Mike's golf life, and have you played with him? I haven't. I'm trying to get to now that I'm, I'm a little bit closer to his new course. Uh, I think it's called the Grove 23. Yeah. I'm, uh, now that I'm closer, I'm trying to get there. Uh, they only have a few. Uh, they only have a few uh, members so far. A bunch of PGA guys. I think Phil Mickelson is in, and then uh, he's in publicly, so I can say that. But it's, it's a few other professional guys I know that are down there. Uh, I'm good friends with Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka uh, and Rory. I just did his podcast. Rory's my favorite, so. I'm trying to get a pretty good, uh, a good foursome. Well, MJ, I heard he plays with like seven, eight people and seven, eight cards. So I can get a roundup, a good group of guys, and hopefully play. I haven't played with Mike yet, um, but I play with Steph. So, and after you play with Steph, uh, as someone who's not a professional golfer, uh, it's easy to play with anybody else because you get pretty frustrated playing with Steph. And you know he's shooting 66s. He shot a 66 a couple weeks ago. So I'm betting it. I guess I'm giving an uh, insider trading tip on. Uh, the, the the event in Tahoe this weekend, he's probably going to win. Or Romo. Romo's been playing professional, so him and Romo's going to win. Neither one of those guys are a joke. Quick, quick follow. I know you got to jump. You mentioned Rory's your guy. Like, I'm a huge Kepka guy. Why is Rory your guy? Uh, he's just got the... He's got the most natural swing in terms of if he's playing his best. Even when he's not playing his best, you know, he could still he could still win it. And when he's playing his best, everyone else knows they don't stand a chance. I think that's the best part of it. And then I've watched him play uh, up close and personal at a major, and he just kind of has a different walk. He has a different gait to him. Like, he kind of walks on. He's, like, floating above the ground. He has that, uh, that aura about him. Uh, and, and when he has that, that's when he's playing his best. So, you know, I try not to bother him too much, but 
you know, my message to him is like, yo, you got to have that walk. Like, you know, nobody can touch you. And when he has that walk, he, he's, he's usually, you know, taking care of business and beating everybody. We saw him at the players. He came back and won the, uh, the tour championship last year. Like he's done that a few times, multiple times winner that. And there are, I think Tiger's the only other one. So he's just, I mean, the, the way he drives the ball at five, eight is unreal. Like people don't understand like what he's doing with his body to hit the ball that far. And then, DJ six four and he's hitting it just right next to DJ and and and, and Tony Finau six four six five and he's hitting it right there with them. You know, DeChambeau's two fifty two sixty six two six three and Roy's right next to those guys. You know, in a smaller frame. Uh, but you know, you talk about somebody that can hit the ball at the pin from any distance. He's talking two fifty two thirty. He can land it right at the pin. It's just you know, it's amazing. Yeah, dude's compact man, but. The torque is there. Andre, I know you got to bounce for a call. It's so good to get caught up with you. We covered a lot of ground. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. That was a great conversation. No, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me, and I uh, appreciate the conversation. My thanks to Andre for carving out some quality minutes in his extremely busy schedule. Good to get caught up with a dude that I've not spoken to in a minute or so. That was great. Now, I mentioned off the top, this is episode 136. So if you're new around here, there are plenty for you to get caught up on. Make sure you check out my previous conversations with Aaron Rodgers, Bob Costas, Brandon Boyd, Tony Hawk, Danny DeVito, Kevin and Bean, David Goggins, Rex Chapman, Mark Cuban, Maury Povich, Stephen A. Smith, Charles Barkley, and a ton of other a-listers from all genres. Get subscribed so you never miss another episode. That's it for this week and two weeks really because I've got a vacation coming up. I will catch you back on July 22nd. But before then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Fellas, XR4TI. Man, I've been a Brady fan for such a long time. You know, I live in Oregon now, but I've always followed the path. Brady's always had his flaws. I'm willing to talk about them, but this TV squared crap and the marketing machine that is as well oiled as his body, yucks, man. Wicked yuck. Wicked yuck. Everyone needs to get run every once in a while, so I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Jim Rome, Dan South Bend. Been listening to you since 1998. Jim, I can explain to the clones how a nuclear reactor works. I can explain to the clones how you can fly a plane from L.A. to Sydney or how Americans were the first person to land a man on the moon. I can explain the Pythagorean theorem. What I can't explain is the NHL draft lottery. What was that mess? Peace. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Rome. It's Doug in San Diego. I got an idea for a, kind of an audio clip you can use. Um, there's a song by uh, Phil Collins, I think it's about 30 years old, called Mama. And uh, this is a great part of that song where it goes, ha, 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 oh. I think that'll be a good uh, clip for you to use in your, in your bit. All right. Take care, man. Bye. Message deleted. Next message. Jimmy, got a suggestion for y'all. Next time when Rex and Albuquerque calls... Just have Alvin queue up Beavis and Butthead saying, diarrhea, cha-cha-cha, diarrhea, cha-cha-cha, and save yourself the frustration of listening to his calls. Message deleted. Next message. Yo, Jim, it's Gerald, a mailman down in Louisiana. I guess we could do self-gloss on the podcast, right? I don't understand why everybody's ragging on Mike from Indy's call on the smack-off. 
I really thought he was going to win the thing. I think he graded him too low, Jim. He should have been in the top three for sure. I don't know, am I crazy? Message deleted. Next message. Hello, this is Ken in Milwaukee. I just want to comment on the basketball and baseball. If they play and if someone wins a championship, you can put a big old asterisk next to that thing. I would like to see the Bucks win a championship, but not like this. As one of your guests said yesterday, it could take a year or two to get over this. And I think that's what's going to happen with no fans in the stands. It's not the same game anymore. I would like to award the two Wisco boys for making it in the top ten in a smack-off. Have a good day, Jim. Thank you much. Bye. Message saved. Next message. Jim, this is Lance in Oklahoma City. Another epic smack-off. Good stuff. Looking forward to next year. And could you please, please stop putting Matt in L.A. on the air, Jim? The dork doesn't get the joke. He thinks he's relevant and uh, just hip, and he's an absolute buffoon. I know most of the words are supposed to be English that fit out of his mouth, but he can't even formulate a true sentence to convey his message. I have no idea what that schmuck is saying, so please stop putting that dork on the air. Thanks, Jim. I'm out. Bye. Message saved. Next message. Jimmo, Steve, and Sandra Fell here. Can they put you in the Hall of Fame every year? Because they sure ought to. Your Jay Cutler deal today was just epically epic. Keep it coming, bro. Message saved. You have no more messages.